0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website, overflowdfw.com. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we get together? Why do we sing these amazing songs that were written, you know, some of them hundreds of years ago and still singing them? Why? Why do we celebrate that? Because, because Jesus came. But why? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus live? Why did Jesus die? Why is Jesus alive again? And we've been talking about during this this series. I would encourage you to go back if you've missed a week. This is I feel like that this has really been an equipping series for you to just kind of really gird up the loins of your mind, if you will. And so, uh, you know, week one, we talked about the, the primary purpose that Jesus came was to save the people from their sins. Jesus came to save people from their sins because he was the only one that would, he was the only one that could, and he's the only one that did. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the law was given through Moses, but grace... Come on, grace and truth came through the man Jesus and that the old covenant was, was, was old and Jesus came to establish a new covenant, a new covenant with better promises and the old is gone and the new is come. And so Jesus came also to, then we talked about this last week, to destroy the works of the the devil, right? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, the influence and the power the devil has over your life through sin or through shame. Jesus came to give you victory and we walk out victory one step at a time. So that's where we're at in this series. And we've been digging into John chapter one. And today we're going to read from there, uh, verse 16. John chapter one, 16. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing. After another, the new King James says grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God. Here we go. Verse 18. This is our focus today. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son is himself God. Come on. Speaking of Jesus and is near the father's heart. He has revealed, and here it is, here's here's what we're talking about this week. He has revealed God to us. So Jesus came to show us what the Father is like. Jesus came to show us the Father. There are a lot of misconceptions today about who God is, God's nature. Come on, God the Father. Uh, In those days, when Jesus showed up, there were a lot of misconceptions about God the Father. Everybody thought that God was like this cosmic tyrant that was really ticked off at humanity. In fact, most people still see God the Father that way. But Jesus came to show us what the Father really looked like. You see, he came to show us the Father. He has come to reveal God to us. What is God like? Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. In John chapter 13, where we're going to spend uh, most of our time today, John chapter 13 through 17 is what is referred to as the the upper room discourse. You might write that down. You can use that with some people this week, and you can say you can use that and make you sound smarter probably than you are. That's why I'm using it. So we say the upper room discourse, and this is where Jesus kind of finishes his kind of last sermon. He's with his small-knit community. He's with his disciples and in the upper room of a house, and, man, he was washing the disciples' feet. They were sharing a meal together. He was speaking life into them, and this all starts in John chapter 13, and then we see Jesus call out Judas Iscariot, right? And when he says, "Hey Judas, you're about to betray me," and then Jesus freaks out, Judas freaks out and runs out of the room. And then he tells Peter, "Hey, listen, you are you're not going to betray me, but you are going to deny me 3 times." You guys remember that? So he tells them all this stuff. He's like, "I'm going to I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. This is the new covenant, but but this is what it takes." And so Jesus is breaking it down. And then in John chapter 14, that was most of that happened in John 13, and then in John chapter 14, Jesus opens up with this statement. He's like, it's, it's best. Some of you, it's really, really bad, but for everybody, it's pretty bad. And then he says this, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more, we're going to spend a little time right here, and I want you to pay attention to the words. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? preparing a place for you in my Father's home. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. This is the focus. You will always be with me where I am. And you will know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas pipes up. (laughs) I love Thomas because I'm a lot like Thomas. I need an affirmation, right? We call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Somebody come up with that. You're a doubting Thomas. Listen, Thomas was just a guy who needed an encounter. He was just a guy that needed a revelation. He needed a little help with his unbelief. I'm like Thomas. So I would have been asking these questions. He said, No, (laughs) no, we don't, Lord. And you know the way we're going. Uh, No, we don't. Uh, No, Jesus. Wrong. (laughs) You know, hold up. We don't know Jesus. We don't know. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going, Lord. We, we, how are we going to know the way if we don't even know where we are going? Where are we going? Where are we going? And we talk about where we're going. We normally talk about where we go when we die, right? And, and this is the passage where Jesus talks about, you know, this, I'm going to the Father, and one of these days, you're going to go up there with me, right? We're talking about heaven, Right where God the Father is, where, where our home is, where our eternal destination is. Where are we going? And I want to talk for just a few moments about where we are going because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. A lot of misconceptions about heaven. We've, we've kind of materialized heaven from a worldly mindset. I want to help break some of that down for you and understand really what we get in heaven. And, I, and I'll just tell you this and, and then we'll explain it. What we really get in heaven is him. What we really get in heaven is him. You will go with me where I am. That's where my father is. Where are we going? We're going to the father. We think streets of gold, mansions, Maseratis. That's what we think, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to be there. He is the star of the show. So where are we going? What what are some misconceptions? That word, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, in the King James Version, the old uh, language that was written, you know, in the 17th century, uses the word mansions, Right? In fact, from what I studied this week, and I, I'm open if you want to prove me wrong, this is the only time where that word mansions is used for what we would get, go to heaven. So we have, in our mindset, when we go to heaven, there's these pearly gates that open up and there's clouds everywhere and there's really bright light and there's a mansion and you go and you live by the mansion, in the mansion all by yourself and it's kind of boring. Like you have a lot of great stuff, but it's not great. So mansions and Maseratis, right? Well, When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a hot car and a hot house and uh and a hot wife right that's kind of kind of the mindset right and so jesus breaks down a lot of this idea but the word there for mansions and i, and I want to help you today that word mansions is in the greek is mone not money or money mone and mone means to denote a permanent large dwelling place so the reason why the interpreters of the scripture in the 17th century said mansions is because the most elaborate stable secure thing that they could come up with, because the way homes were back then, was a mansion. Now, their mansions back then didn't look like our mansions today, right, in the 1700s. So what they're saying is, listen, when we go to heaven, we are going to have a secure, stable place. So the word is actually "monet," which actually just means a permanent, large dwelling place. One translation says many rooms. Uh, So in the 17th century, when this was interpreted, this was the best word that they could come up with. We're not knocking it. We're just saying, hey, in context, that's what they're saying. But really, it's not saying, are we going to have mansions in heaven? I don't know. But I do know that by studying the scripture, we can't really take that from that, that we're all going to live in a house by ourself. The fo- If we are, that is still not the focus, even if we are. Now, the root word of that, Monet, is the word mino. And the word meno, and we we talk about that word a lot. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you remain in me, and I will remain in you. What is he saying? If you stay there. So heaven, the place where we're going, is the place that he's prepared. It's the place that he is. It's not so much about the geographical location or the materials that are there. So many rooms, does that mean mansions? Listen, let me tell you this. It's better than that. Heaven is better than that. If your idea of heaven is stuff, then you've got a very limited mindset. Listen, don't limit the most glorious of spaces into a materialistic, worldly mindset. Don't be confused, beloved. There is something far greater than any house you can imagine. Far greater. And it's his presence. The fullness of his presence. The most mesmerizing man you've ever experienced. You will be locked in for ages. For thousands of years, we're going to be going, whoa, holy. Holy means other than, like, I'm flabbergasted. I don't even have the words holy. Why do they keep saying holy? Because every glimpse, they're just blown away. They're locked in fascination. Uh, the other kind of misconception about heaven is, is, is the folklore of what happens when people, when they, die, when, when they die. So when people die, well-meaning people say, well, now they've become an angel. Like, they've graduated to an angel. Now, understand something. There are humans, and there are angels. Humans don't become angels. Angels don't become humans. It didn't work like that. Angels are different beings that God created, that they serve a purpose. Humans are beings that God created, that serve a purpose. When you go to heaven, you don't grow wings, and you don't have a harp and sit on a cloud and play it in a boring place called heaven. Does that sound fun to you? No. I mean, it's better than hell, but it's, but it's, but it's just barely, Right? I mean, sitting on a cloud by myself playing a harp sounds fun for about five minutes. And then I'm pulling my phone out, right? Come on. You also. So we had this idea that lost one. And listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive this morning. We've all lost people we love. But we, 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 uh, they, don't, they don't grow wings and become angels. They're not looking over us, making sure that we're okay ministering to us. No, 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 no. Don't be distracted. Listen, Paul says it this way. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. When we are present with the Lord in his fullness, we're not going to really be occupied with things on earth. We're going to be like so fascinated by this brilliant man that, that, is, that is multifaceted. Scripture said, we're going to be just gazing for years going, Oh, wow! Our loved ones, listen, our loved ones are in awestruck wonder, mesmerized by the beauty of God. <laughs> You're not, And it'll be like just a minute before we get there. I mean, it'll happen so fast because it is so glorious, so, so mind-blowing. And so I, I want to encourage you to have a little bit deeper theology than this shallow, worldly mindset about heaven being so earthly oriented, right? The other one, the other mindset that's kind of messed up is heaven will be whatever you want it to be. Well, what if that is not what I want it to be? So do you see how that instantly conflicts? Listen, the reality is heaven is not about you. Heaven is about him. Now, he is about you. Get that straight. You will enjoy it. You'll enjoy it far more than you can imagine you'll enjoy it with all that junk. Now it, Scripture does tell us we'll lay up treasures in heaven. You know what we're going to do with our treasures when we get in heaven? We're going to go, whoa, so much better. Here, have it all. Have it all. Really? So, and, and Some of you, listen, that, that haven't experienced him and haven't tasted him in a real tangible way, you, in, in your heart, you might be saying, well, that's, that's not really what I want. I mean, that sounds kind of disappointing to me. For someone who hasn't tasted, have a little taste of the glory, like someone who hasn't experienced the Lord, like I could see where that would not be like super appealing. But listen, beloved. Really, what you want is him. You might not even know it, but what you want is him. If you say, no, no, I really don't want him. I, I want X, Y, Z. Well, then, then I can only assume that you have experienced the Father for who he really is. Because everything and anything that you can imagine is inferior to him. It's all inferior to the gloriousness of him. Everything else is far less fascinating than him, far less exhilarating than him, far less fulfilling than him. It's all less he is so much more. He is so much more fascinating. Why do you think these men that followed Jesus around gave up everything to follow? Why do you think they died for him? Because he is incredibly fascinating. He's worth way more. So heaven is far more than a place in the cosmos. It's a place in the family. That you belong to this God that is incredibly glorious. I love C.S. Lewis, how he says the Son of Man became a man, or the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. So he became a man so that you could become a child of God. And heaven, listen, is not a place that we go to. We we do go to it. Home is not a place that we go to. Home is a people that we belong to. So heaven is your home, your dwelling place when you go. But really... Really, it's all about who's there. It's like my family is my home. We can live anywhere. We can live in Grand Prairie. We could live in El Paso. Hope that never happens again. Um, We could live anywhere in the world and we'll be at home. Why? Because that's where our family is. That's why when you say back home, what are you saying? If your family didn't live there, you wouldn't call it back home. You would call wherever your family is home. Why? Because home isn't a location. It's a people, Come on, it's not a place we go to, it's a people we belong to. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says this about you, about your family. He says, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Part of the reason Jesus came, we talked about this in week one, is to redeem you so you can be a child of God. That you can become part of the family of God. And we are at home together because God is here. Not because we're such brilliant kind nice people we're all that but listen it is all about we have we all have a common father and we love him and we enjoy him and we understand that he loves us and that he enjoys us did you know that God enjoys you he enjoys you he's not mostly upset so back to our back to our passage thomas is you know having this like crisis where are we going and jesus explains to him we're we're going to heaven. I'm going to be there. The Father's going to be there. And he's like, but, but how? How do we get there? What is the way? We don't even know where you're going. How? What is the way? And then he says this in verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way. What's the way? I am. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No one can come, get this, to the Father. Except through me. Now we focus on the heaven part, don't we? No one can, most of us that are, that are pretty well rooted in Christianity, we say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life to heaven. That's what we're thinking. But Jesus says to the Father. It's not just a location, it's a person. It's not just a place, it's a person we're going to. Jesus said, I'm the way to the Father. I'm the way to know the Father. I'm the way to experience the Father. I'm the way to the Father. If you really know, if you've really known me, you have known my father, who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, they're not getting it. Thomas, Philip, Peter already denied him. I mean, there's like four of them. That's like, it's a lot of guys. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Have you ever been there? Jesus, show me the Father. Yeah. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You don't know what the Father looks like? Look at me. I represent the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you are not my own, but the Father who lives in me and does his work through me. You've seen the Father all along. He's been with you. Everything that I've been doing, it's because the Father commissioned me to do it. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you're seeking the Father, but I'm saying that you've been seeing the work of the Father the whole time when I've been in front of you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus says again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is the most radical statement that Jesus makes. See, we love the statements about children. Come on. The way that treated, Jesus treated the foreigners, love it. Love, it the way that, love the way that treat Jesus treated immigrants. I love the way that Jesus treated women. I love all that. We love those verses. People don't like this verse because it's exclusive. Jesus is like, I'm the way. He doesn't say, I'm a way. I'm a truth. I may life, just, just kind of pick, you know, just put Buddha up there and put Jesus up there and put Oprah Winfrey up there and put whoever else up there you want, Donald Trump, who put whoever else. Jesus didn't say, go ahead and just pick a way. No, no, no. He said, I'm the way. I, what is he saying? He's like, I'm the only one. If you want to get to the Father, you've got to go through me. I represent the Father, not all these other gods that society and culture has been worshiping. I'm the one, the real Jesus, so it's a radical statement. In not only he's just saying, I'm the way, he's also saying, I am. I mean, that's like blasphemy because by Jesus saying, I am, he is saying, I'm God. Blasphemy. It's, it seems to be exclusive. It seems to be intolerant of what Jesus says. And it is if you don't respond to the invitation. So is Jesus exclusive? It depends on what you mean by that. The claim of Christianity is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the claim of Christianity. And people get mad at Christians about this. But guess what? Christians didn't make it up. You want to quote Jesus? Jesus said it right there. We're just delivering what Jesus said about himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pastor, are you saying? I'm not saying. Jesus is saying. I'm echoing what jesus said i'm repeating what jesus said jesus said he's the way the truth and the life so if you've got a problem with that message then you're gonna have to take it up with jesus and i'll, I'll happily defend his statements because i've done the work i've done the research and i would encourage you to as, as well but he is invitational he's not exclusive in the sense that he's like he don't want anybody else in he wants everybody in he wants everybody to walk through the door. You walk in, You all of you, all of you walked in this room through those doors over there. Why? Because it was the only way to get in here. Is it because we're mean? It's because we're biased against other doors? No, it's just because it's the way it is. So it's just the only door that you can come in. You can try to come in that door, but there's no handle on the outside. It's the only way in. You can go out that door, but you can't come in. Jesus is the way. And let me say this. Because this is what we do. Well, Jesus was a, he's a good moral teacher. If, if all Jesus was was a teacher, he was a terrible teacher. Jesus was a tyrant. Jesus was a very evil man by making that claim. If, if, if that claim is false, listen, if Jesus is a good moral teacher only, he's an evil man for saying that. But we hold to the fact that he is not an evil man. He's a good man, and that's why he brought the news. So don't shoot the mailman. (laughs) Come on. Jesus gives us the way to the Father. See, Jesus provided the way to the Father so that we can learn the truth of the Father and experience the life of the Father. Jesus wants you to get how good God is. That's why he showed up. So what do we learn of the Father through Jesus? Remember, because Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we learn of God's nature by looking at Jesus. If Jesus is the way to the Father and Jesus reveals the Father, then the way to the Father is also the way of the Father. Do you need me to repeat that again? I know it's a lot of words. Listen, if Jesus is the way to the Father and Jesus reveals the Father, Then the way to the Father is also the way of the Father. Okay, are y'all are y'all tracking? Some of you are like, hold on, we'll get we'll get you there. It'll click in about two o'clock this afternoon. So what do we see? What do we see? Well, we see the the way of the Father. We see His ways. We see His ways. This is what happens. We have a tragedy. We have a difficult circumstance happen in our life. And this is what well-meaning Christians say. Well, God's ways aren't our ways. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. We just can't explain. We can't really know what's on God's mind. You ever been told that before? I've been told that a lot. Well, pastor, the Bible says. You know what? The Bible does say that. In fact, look at this. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Noah has seen. No ear is heard. No mind is conceived. What God has prepared for those who love Him. That's right, brother. We just can't understand God's ways. Hold up. Verse 10. But, I love the buts in Scripture. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. You can know God's ways. You. We can't know God. You can. First of all, you can look at Jesus. You can know the ways of God by looking at Jesus. And you know the ways of God if you've come to Jesus because now you have the Holy Spirit. Look, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. You're deep. You're so deep. You are so deep because you have the Spirit of God inside of you that searches the deep things of God. Do you want to know the deep things of God? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal them to you. He's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. He's wanting you to seek him out. Listen, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For whom among men knows the thoughts of man except for the man's spirit within him? You know that. And the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows God's thought? The Holy Spirit. Guess who's dwelling in you when you come to Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Guess who can know God's thoughts? You. What is God thinking? Ask him. God, what are you thinking? One of the prayers that I always challenge people to pray is a prayer that I pray every day. And there's a whole lot of it. I say, God, what do you know that I don't know? Obviously, there's a ton there. But it's a great question because I'm saying, Lord, I want to know something today that I don't already know. God, what do you know that I don't know? And what do you have that I don't have? Pray that every single day. You watch. You will have more revelation tomorrow than you did today. You pray that every day. Write that down. What do you know that I don't know? What do you have that I don't have? What are you asking? You're asking for the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. That's what you're asking for. Ephesians 1. Pray that. Pray that. Pray that. And the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. Listen, we have not received the spirit of the world. Listen, the world, the world needs solutions. But the solutions to the world don't come from the world. They come from heaven. And you have the spirit of God. Listen, the spirit of God inside of you to solve the issues of the world. You know what we do? This is what we do. We take the spirit of the world and try to answer the world's problems. They don't work. And we're frustrated all the time. Why? Because we haven't sought out the spirit of God. Y'all okay? For you have not received the spirit of the world... But the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand. That you may understand what God has freely given. That you may understand. God wants you to understand. He wants you to get it. He's not hiding from you. He's not distant. He's not close. He's not far away. He's up close. He wants to show you something. So we can see his ways. And the greatest way that we see, and we know this First John chapter 4, verse 8, it says God is love. That is his motivation. Now, when we say God is love, we're not saying love is God. God is not a little heart emoji or a little smiley face with heart eyes. That's not God, right? God looks that way. God looks at things that way. He's loving. He's driven by love. But love is not God. Don't mistake that. Because some people say, well, God is love. That means love is God. That, no, no, it doesn't just means God's nature is always loving. His default is love. Does God get mad? Yeah, absolutely. He gets crazy upset. He didn't stay mad, though. He's patient. He's tolerant. We'll talk about that. Listen to this. Psalms 119, verse 68 says, you are good and do only good. This is how good God is. He only does good things. That's good news. Isn't that good news? God only does good things. Now, sometimes our idea of good and what God's idea of good is not the same. So it's important that we're being spirit led. Come on. But He only does good. If you know something is good based upon scripture, based upon the nature of God, and you blame God for it, you've mistaken. Because God only does good. God only does good things. He doesn't do bad things. You know who does bad things? Humanity. So we blame God for the problems that humanity has caused. We blame God for the things that the devil has done. And God's like, bro, I'm not doing that. I only do good. God only does good. He's good. Check this out. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Or his kindness leads us to repentance? That's not necessarily doesn't necessarily mean that good things happen, so now you want to turn to God. Not necessarily, because you know and I know usually we turn to God when things are really bad. But whenever we, can, we know that God is motivated and good, that he's good enough to accept us, when we realize that God is kind and he's motivated by kindness, that it makes us go, man, I want to come to you, God. See, some of you, this is, this is what happens, okay? And I, I've been there. I've done that. I sin, and I don't go to God because I think God's mad at me, and I think God's frustrated at me, and it doesn't lead me to repentance, right? Instead, it leads me to isolation, and I'm going, oh, man, I need to stay away from God because, you know, I might do it again. I probably will. And God's like, get over here. Let me love that out of your life. Let me get the grumpies off. Let me get that out of your life. I love you. I want you still. Even the thing that I keep doing and keep asking for forgiveness, still still love you. Still love you. And listen, that will be the thing that will lead you to repentance. Not just confession of your sin, but to repentance. Knowing that God's good enough to embrace you, even in your mess. So God is good. Number two, he's gracious, which falls into line with that. Listen, his grace is far superior to, than what you deserve. If you deserve it, then it's not grace. Far better than what you deserve. I don't deserve this, God. Good, you're getting grace. Romans 5 eight. but God showed or demonstrated his lo- great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. The greatest demonstration of God's love has already happened. He already showed you how big his love is. With Jesus on the cross that day. Not when you had got your act together. (laughs) Not when you quit cussing, right? This is old biggie. (laughs) I just can't stop. So funny. (laughs) We measure ourselves up. This is how God measured you. That's how he measured you. He measured you on the cross. He stretched his arms out. He measured you by the extent of his love. Why you didn't measure up. He said, You're worth it. You're worth it. He's gracious. Mm, he's so gracious. And he's giving. God so, we all know John 3 16. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us Jesus. It's the most elaborate gift you could ever get. Remember when you were a kid and you got Christmas gifts? You like wanted like something that was like really big and you were like even afraid to ask for it? Like it's way bigger than that. <laughs> He gave Jesus, not just a, not just a man, the God-man Jesus, to come and die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What did he give you? He gave you the gospel. That's right there, the gospel. Let's go back and look at that. Verse 16. That spells the gospel. John 3, 16 spells spells the gospel. You ready? This is a little trick you can use around the dinner table. For G, God, gospel, so loved the world that he gave his O, only son, G-O-S. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, P, but have everlasting life. The gospel. God gave you the gospel through Jesus. He's good. He loves you. He's giving This is, this is what I would say, because we encounter people all the time that aren't good, that aren't gracious, that aren't giving, right? You know what I think that boils down to? People that are not good and gracious and giving is because they don't know the Father. Because when you experience his goodness, his grace, his giving heart, you, you have to give. It's, just, it's the automatic response. You don't even have to strive for it. It just starts showing up in your life. So we know his ways. We know his truth. His truth. These these points will be a little shorter. Bear with me. See, his truth is the truth. That's a there's kind of a thing going around. You know, you don't have to be on social media for five minutes to get annoyed, or to see the statement that says my truth. You just need to speak your truth, Pastor imlan You guys know what I'm talking about. My truth. What's my truth? It's, listen. His truth, God's truth is the truth. Right? His truth is the truth. It doesn't matter if it's my truth or not. It's the truth. Listen, in fact, I would say this. If your truth doesn't line up with the truth, then you have a lie. If your truth doesn't line up with his truth, then you have a lie. Well, it's true to me. It's, that doesn't make it true. That might be your opinion that you could be walking in deception And the only way to get out of that is through revelation of who God is. It's the only way you're going to get out. So Jesus says this, John chapter 5, verse 37, keeping with some of the same language. The Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice nor seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe in me, the one he has sent. See, by rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting God the Father. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is like, man, you're diligent, man. You're like in the word. You're searching. You're researched. I mean, you spend a lot of time on Google or whatever, the library. help you. I mean, you are well-researched. You do really good at studying. You're in the Word. But you're overlooking the purpose of the Word, because the Word points to me. The Word points you into relationship. So normally, we have two kinds of people, right? You have Word people, and then you have prayer people, right? You have people that are real intellectual and scholarly, and then you have people that are like, oh, yeah, man, this is still love, right? You have, like, kind of these two camps. For me, I'm a little more on this side, right? If I'm not careful, I will love God with all my mind and not love him with all my heart. Now, we're called some of you need to start loving God with all of your mind because that's just as equal in the same command is to love God with all your heart. But what we've got to do is we can't dig and search and research and have all the facts, And miss the father. Jesus said the scriptures point to me. The scriptures are supposed to lead you into relationship with me. Connection. Not just information. So don't be be so consumed with information. Get some revelation and some connection with God. Live in the tension of those places. God, who are you? I'm searching the scripture. Yes, I see that in the scripture. Now I want it to show up in my life. The scriptures are an invitation for us to walk in connection with him. The scriptures are an invitation for us to walk in connection with him. The scriptures are an invitation for us to walk in connection with him. That, then we have the Holy Spirit who is revealing and confirming that truth about God. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, John 16, same scene that Jesus is sharing on. The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. How much? All, all truth. Woo, that's a lot of All truth. He will not speak of his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we search the Scriptures, and we search the Spirit. Yes, yes. So we know his truth. We know his truth because we've studied it, because we're encountering it. And number three, we experience his life. His life. We experience the way, the ways of God. We experience the truth of God, of who he is his truth, and we are experiencing his life. Jesus says it this way, John 10.10. 10. We're very familiar with this. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and life more abundantly, have it more abundantly. Devil ministry, steal, kill, destroy. Jesus ministry, life, life more abundantly. What does that look like? What does life and life more abundantly looks like? Listen, if the devil's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy, then life is found when Jesus restores, resurrects, and rebuilds. If the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, then Jesus desires to give you life through restoring, resurrecting, and rebuilding. Jesus said it this way, I am the resurrection and the life. It's who I am. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He came to give you life. He's not the cosmic destroyer. He came to give you life. He is a rebuilder. And he built this thing through Jesus called the kingdom of God. It's part, it would have been, if we had enough, enough weeks, we would have talked about he came to establish his kingdom on the earth. And the way he establishes his kingdom is through relationship, through connection with the Father. But this is the thing. When we talk about rebuilding, oftentimes in our life, we're going to get on the heart right here. Listen, oftentimes in our life when we talk about rebuilding, what we want oftentimes is repair. I want God to repair my heart. Not to rebuild it. Don't go there, God. Don't touch that area. Just fix this part. If we're honest. Right? Lord, I invite you here, but not here. Repair my life. Don't rebuild it. But God is a rebuilder. That's one thing that we've seen this whole series is He's a He's a table turner, man. He just he's a revolutionary. He changes it completely. Listen, we want maintenance. He wants overhaul. I know I'm gonna mess up your appetite because they're closed on Sundays, but if you Go to a Chick-fil-A. We've got to talk about Chick-fil-A because it's Christian chicken. If it, something. Something is something. There's a, a Chick-fil-A by our house. And a couple of years ago, we of course we live by Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's just wisdom to, you know, be within a couple mile radius of, of God's ch- little chickens. Well, so they gave, they gave their life for my taste. All right. So there's this Chick-fil-A close to our house. And... They were going to be closed for like a month or something, or two months. They were like, oh, no, <laughs> what are we going to do? The apocalypse. And so they started, they're going to renovate the Chick-fil-A. Well, they didn't, like, renovate it. They, like, tore it down, like, bulldozed it down, wiped it completely down to the foundation, and they rebuilt it. Now, couldn't they have, I mean, that was, in my opinion, that's not a very good use of resources, I'm like, what are you thinking? Well, they know, they really know what they're doing, and so they built it, and you know it's faster and better than it was, and and all of that. You know, in our lives, <clears throat> a lot of times when we talk about God rebuilding, we want to just do an add-on, we want to do a little bit of renovate, but really, what God likes to do is He likes to rebuild. Now, He's not the destroyer, but when we come to Him, we're we're down to our foundations. Beloved, he doesn't need your resources. I want you to get this today. He doesn't need your resources. He doesn't need your history. He doesn't need your education. He doesn't need you to have the rock background. He doesn't need you to have a good foundation. All he needs is your location. All he needs is that space where your house dwells. That's all he needs. All he needs is the property and what your home is setting. And he's saying, will you let me rebuild my life into your life? Or are you just going to continue asking for add-ons and adaptations and Jesus fixes? Some of you are such a mess because you've been serving God saying, well, Lord, just work on this and then on this. And he's saying, listen, when you came to me, there was nothing. Let me build the house. Let me build the house. Let me build your life. Stop trying to build your own life and then asking me to bless it. Just build the house. Let me build the house that's already blessed. Let me build it the way that I want it to be built.